everyone. It's Chris Calvert from Career Goals. And as you all know, we talk to people on this podcast from all walks of life, all different types of jobs, try and figure out what they do, why they do it, how much they get paid, do they love it, will they stay, et cetera, et cetera. So today, this is going to be really interesting, as I think they all are. I always say that. But this one in particular, let me give you a little background. Today, we're talking to Valerie Mabry, who is this delightful young woman from the South. She's from Alabama. And she has a job that I think every one of us knows about, but probably very, very few of us, if any, have any clue as to what it really is. So I met, quote, unquote, Valerie on Reddit. I was doing a little searching, a little research, and she was on a board talking about how much she loved her job. And I was like, well, this sounds amazing. What's her job? And then I find out what her job is, which is embalming. So Valerie works at a funeral home as an embalmer. And you might be familiar with that. That is the person who prepares the body, you know, someone dies, and then they are taken in this case, if you're going to do a burial taken to a funeral home, and Valerie would be the person who would prepare that body for the viewing. And this is different from a cremation or other types of burials. She's specifically in this aspect for this conversation, talking about embalming. So I have to warn you as we're going along this conversation, Valerie is so charming and disarming that as she's talking to you with this just lovely accent and she's, you know, young and happy and just has her whole life in front of her and it's all lovely. And then she's able to talk about these topics so raw and so specifically. So as you're going through here, there might be a couple times where you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't I didn't see that coming. So I'm just warning you, you might see it coming where she's going to be talking about what she actually does. But what's so fascinating about this conversation is the way that she weaves in what she does practically, which is working with blood, guts, and gore, to put it frankly, in the way she does that, but the real big picture of what she does, and the big picture of what she does is supports people and families in their time of need, in their the most desperate time, in those first, you know, few days, a week of transition when someone has died. And to hear her talk about it with the passion that she has for this work is really encouraging and helpful. I think for so many of us in doing our jobs and as we work to think, what is the, what are we really doing here? How could I elevate this work? What could be the bigger goal here? And hers is so obvious and so clear, and she is so well aligned for her job. So here we go. I just want to make sure that you know, there will be parts where you're like, I think I'm going to lose my lunch. You could fast forward because it doesn't keep coming at you coming at you, you might have one of those and then you might not have anything for a while. If you can get through there's only really a few times where she talks about stuff where you're kind of like, but it's an amazing conversation and a super fascinating glimpse into this industry of mortician school and funeral directing and embalming. So here we go with Valerie Mabry. Welcome, Valerie. How are you? Thank you. I'm really good. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to have you. And again, thank you so much for being here. I think you're going to be so helpful in so many ways for so many people to figure out. Yeah. So why don't you just start and tell us what is it that you do? I am a mortician, also known as a funeral director or an embalmer. 
in some states it's separate in some states it's integrated i prefer the embalming side more than the funeral directing side and some prefer it the other way around oh i got it okay so it all kind of goes around all right so you are a mortician or an embalmer that same thing right what does that mean it means that i go and retrieve a body from their home from the hospital from a nursing home and uh, sometimes from forensics and such when you know if people die that are outside of an institution of some sort usually the authorities are involved and they check everything out before they make a determination of whether or not there was any sus- suspected foul play or anything so sometimes i go to like the department of forensics and um pick up bodies from there well so that's like very csi i hadn't even really thought about that part yeah, kind of i mean we yeah. just don't collect evidence we just take the body itself yeah very cool oh. okay so what do you collect in are you in a van or something what what do you yeah. do most uh, funeral homes now, they use kind of a nondescript van. Um, some use like a black van or a white van. Ours is silver. It looks pretty typical, except um, it has those little panels on the windows, like the hearse has with that swoopy S-looking thing. <laughs> I don't so, really know what it's called. But so that people know? It's, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, if you're used to seeing it, you know what it is. But most people, I don't think they think twice about it. I just saw a hearse today driving, and I don't think I've seen a hearse in, I, I mean, a decade. I really don't feel like I've seen an actual, like, hearse, and it was a newer one. And I was really kind of mm-hmm. surprised because I just don't see them anymore at all. Yeah, a lot of people are getting away from it because um, some people are really weirded out by hearses, I guess, because our society is so removed from death now that mm-hmm. being reminded of it freaks them out but we still have we have two hearses that we use right now um but i've seen places where they had a whole fleet oh wow okay so they still yeah. do use it i just don't yeah i never see them okay so tell me what happened so then you pick up the is, is there anything that goes on when you pick up when you pick up a, an actual body so this body this person is no longer living and i imagine you pick them up pretty quickly after they've passed away, right? So that it depends. If um, if they're at home, usually it's pretty quick within a couple of hours. Just depends on traffic and such, mm-hmm. where they're located and all that. Um, if it's from forensics, they could have been deceased for any amount of time. I see. Um, from the hospital, it may be you know a few hours after death, or it may be like a day or two later. It just depends on how long it takes for the family to choose a funeral home. And that's, that's generally what takes the longest amount of time is um, they have to get all the paperwork together to release the body to us because you can't just, like, walk in somewhere and be like, hi, I'm from such and such funeral home. Exactly. Uh, just just the family that, you know? <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that's, that, actually, that's a good tip just as a consumer, you know, as a, as a person, you know, kind of have this laid out a little bit before, before you're yeah. dealing with it at the end of the day, you know, like yeah. something and, that people could help out with. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know, but you can call around and price check everything way before you even think about having a funeral. And if you, what they call, make um, pre-need arrangements, which is just, you know, way before you need them, it locks in that price. So you can die tomorrow or 20 years from now, and that's the price you pay. That's it. Okay, I've heard about this. This is like when people buy a plot next to is this the same thing when they'll buy a plot next to say their spouse and then that would include the whole arrangement 
like that funeral. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, some some funeral homes don't have an actual cemetery, so they don't sell the grave spaces. But a lot of times, you know, most funeral homes do have a, a preferred cemetery or their own cemetery. That's so a really the place good point. Where I'm at right now, doesn't yeah. have a cemetery yet. And I forgot about separating those two out exactly. So the funeral home is a different service, which is where you're involved in terms of the embalming. Okay, so what happens? Then you pick up you pick up the deceased person. Yes. And you take them where? Where do where do they go with you? We take them back to the funeral home. Um, okay. It depends on what they want. Like some places they have just one or two locations that have a prep room, which is where the actual embalming take pla- takes place. Um, some people, they don't have like cold storage, like a refrigeration unit. It just depends on what the funeral home is equipped with as to where you might be taking them. But they generally go right back to the funeral home with you. Okay, so then, but typically, or with what you work with, I guess we can just start there. So okay. the way that you work is, do they have a do they have a refrigeration setup? Yeah, we have a, a pretty large, uh, what they call it, cooler. And it's probably about the size of a nice room. It's um, probably about 10 by 10, I would guess. And um, we have spaces, we have some racks that we can slide people on if they're going to be there for a while. We have some tables in there. We have some cots, you know, just kind of like a mortician bunk beds. It sounds like. Sounds yeah, like, kinda. <laughs> right? it's like, a, like a big dead sleepover. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone in there. Okay. This is really, this is like so interesting. Okay. So <laughs> if the person comes in, and I just want to be sensitive too, and I want to tell people because I I have lost both my parents. I've lost plenty of people close to me. I have been involved in this, um, you know, from the other side. So in no yeah. way is anything I say intended at all to be insensitive. And I know that you, of all people, are very sensitive to this, having been involved in this field. So um, you know, as we talk about it, I just want people to to appreciate that we're talking about it in terms of a career context. Like who, you know, who does well in this situation? You know, how do you decide even yeah. to you know, go forward in this because you are dealing with, like you just said before, you know, some people just can't, you know, handle the death right. aspect at all, you know, and yeah. I know even when, you know, I've had my, my parents, you know, we've gone through this as a family and uh, my brother thankfully is a doctor and, you know, I'm in a physician family, so it's, it's a different experience, but I think a lot yeah. of people really struggle with the the whole concept so just want to make right. sure people understand that what we're talking about it's like very yeah. technical career and, talk that we're having here yeah and also you know with your family being in the medical field you kind of learn that you have to have a somewhat morbid sense of humor because it just comes with the job like mm-hmm. you're so exposed to it that it doesn't affect you in a way that it would affect someone else like a doctor going in to perform surgery isn't thinking about, oh, God, I have my hands in someone's guts. You right. know, they're, they're just like, I have a job to do. I'm going to go do it. And then later on, they might crack a joke about it. But, you know, it's not intended to be at all disrespectful. It's just that's how you cope with it. It's and, so true. I, that's yeah. actually really, really helpful. Yeah. So any comment I make isn't meant to be offensive. It's just how we kind of deal with the job it in a way it becomes funny because it's it's so mundane and so every day you're not thinking about how other people might react to it it's just you know you the very first time i was in a prep room for example i had never seen a dead body before except for at funerals already i was in mortuary school and i walked into a funeral home to start training and i was like at first it's shocking it's like oh my god that's a dead body like 
right there. That's a dead human right over there. And then by lunch, I was like, okay, that's great. Let's go eat. I'm starving. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. That quickly it happens because you yeah. just acclimate. Does everyone have that same experience or did you, do you think it was just fitting for you? I really couldn't tell you because most of the people I was with were in mortuary school and they had, you know, been but they were fine with it too. Of it. So yeah, some of them were really fine with it at first. Like kind of like me, they just acclimated and were like, okay, it's really not that big of a deal. And a few people were still kind of like, uh, I think I'd rather just be a funeral director. All these dead bodies kind of freak me out. Right. Okay. But that's actually helpful because you would know pretty quickly. This is yeah. very interesting that you just said this because my thinking, if you went to become a mortician is that you would have had, I don't know, like some kind of either, you know, experience or like you've been around dead bodies somehow, or you just are really comfortable that way. Or maybe you'd worked in nurse, nursing homes and like hospice. And so you're kind of at that end of life conversation, but that's not true for you. Right? right. You're saying the very first time you saw a dead body was when, when you went to mortician school. Right. Um, I actually got into it because a friend of mine mentioned it in high school. And like the more I thought about it, the better it sounded. I was like, yeah, I think I can really do that. That sounds really cool. But how did they mention it? How did they sell it to you? Uh, she was she was looking around for different career paths. And that was just one of the ones that she brought up. And I was asking her more about it. And the more she was telling me, the more I was like, okay, that's really cool. I think I really could do that. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I think if I think this is why I think people need to understand this career um, because it's it's so varied. And I think it's for a certain type of person, though. So I'm going to find out oh, kind of who you are right in this space, because there's um, I think there are a lot of aspects to it technically. And then there's a lot of aspects to it emotionally. And then there's the the solitary work of it. There's just there's a lot to this there career. Is, yeah. So tell You're me how it right. goes. So when you um, how how do you how does First, let's start with school, I guess. So um, when you decide, when you thought, okay, I'm going to kind of look at that, did you just apply to school straight out or did you, do you do like some preliminary work? Did you work in a funeral home for a couple months first just to see or how did you approach it? No, I just, uh, I enrolled in a local program at the community college that was 30 minutes from my house because they happen to have a program. I just kind of looked around to see which places had programs that were close to me. And uh, the closest one at the time was in Perkinston, Mississippi, because I live in Ocean Springs. Okay, how far but, is that from you then? So that's uh, about an hour. Or so okay, so yeah, thirty just minutes to, get... to an hour, just depending on traffic. Okay. Um, but I actually started off at Bishop State Community College in Mobile because that's where that friend I mentioned from high school was going, and so we were going to go through it together. And this was in 2005, so we had just started, and she lost her house in Katrina, so I had to take a little break from that. And I wound up going back to um, Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, which is what offered the program in Mississippi. Gotcha. Okay. Did you lose time doing that, or had you had you Not already only started? Only a little bit. Okay. I, I actually kind of took my time. Um, I got scared off from the program by a kind of disgruntled former student. So um, she was an older lady, and she was having trouble finding a job. So um, I took her advice, and I wish I wouldn't have because I would have been done so much quicker and would have possibly had my foot in the door somewhere. Totally. What did she tell you? What was her advice? She was saying um, it's really hard to find a job. It's hard to get your foot in the door. And then when you do, all they want you to do is be a chemical pusher, which means all they want you to do is stay in the back and embalm the bodies and don't see the clients and such. Mm -hmm. Is that true? And 
to me that was not my experience but um that might be um that might be personality dependent too it might be based on how you're describing her it might be that she was kind of regulated that way because maybe she wasn't good in front of the clients yeah um the funeral home I started at I I did my apprenticeship there which um when you go through mortuary school it's generally a two-year program or so so you get an associate's degree but um you know you can go on further and get like a bachelor's or something just depending on the school my school only offered the associate's program after I finished college, I started my apprenticeship in Mobile, technically Theodore, Alabama, at um, a funeral home. And uh, it was an unpaid internship, which really sucked. Is that normal? Uh, it used to be, but I think most funeral homes are getting more towards paying the interns at least minimum wage now. Okay. Because now they're finding people are not able to work without being paid. No, and that's what we're hearing this around from internships across the board, that people yeah. now are generally getting paid, yeah. Yeah, and um, so it was actually me and my best friend who I convinced to go to mortuary school with me. We did our apprenticeship together at the same place, and um, we actually had our college professor come to bat for us, and he went up to the funeral home and kind of chewed him out and was like, you're making multi-millions and you really can't afford to get two people minimum wage, really? Right, for the internship. You know what that's called? That's called slavery. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's unpaid labor. It's not fair. Yeah, exactly. So then they brought us on payroll and I think we were getting paid like eight dollars, eight fifty, something like that. What were you doing for this eight fifty? Oh my god, everything. Um, oh, so they were exposing you to like the whole Oh yeah. The whole um, piece. We were learning more intense embalming techniques. Like in school you're in a classroom with a bunch of people, whereas when you're in a funeral home it's all on you. You know, you have to learn to do everything. So yeah. um so we were learning how to suture, where vessels were located, what chemicals to use, what not to use, you know, just all of the practical things about embalming that you don't really learn until you're on your own. Like, this is very you have cool. Training, but, I wouldn't have even know. thought about it. I mean, and if, if anyone's thinking, like, I always think, like, how can you, you know, if you're not going to be in a position to go to school to become a surgeon, which is an, right. like an onerous undertaking it's just like Mm -hmm. takes forever the requirements are so stringent and it's not for everybody but there's lots of ways that you can get involved I wouldn't have even thought that you would have been suturing but that makes sense because you've got to get in to do the chemicals and deal with the organs and all that stuff too right right yeah what classes do you take when you go to school a bunch we had to take um anatomy one and two is that like the first year? Like, what's your first year? So you'll take... The first year you... is usually just the basics, you know, kind of like English, Anatomy. science, all that stuff. Um, okay. And then once you get into your core classes, that's like the anatomy and physiology classes. Um, a lot of specialized courses like uh, pathology, microbiology, thanatochemistry. And then we get into like law and ethics, merchandising, business management, accounting, all of that. So it just kind of like tries to prepare you as much as possible for every aspect of the business that you may come across, like if you're going to go into a funeral home or even open your own. Right, exactly. Okay, Which so then... Good luck with that. You're going to need a few million to start that off. Yeah, that's a big capital expense. That's a... Yeah, that's... Oh. I think it seems like to me that a lot of these are owned in families for a long time, like generations, yeah. it almost seems like that. But it's recession-proof, which I love as a business person. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. like, that part's really good. Okay, yeah. but you are... Okay, so the first year, just so I understand, so the first year is just like 
you know, the basic courses that anybody would take going to college, the way that you're yeah. describing it, right? And then the second year then is when you get into kind of your specialized uh, skills, but still not doing practical, um, you know, do you do labs and things to, to get yeah. in there? So what are the labs like? Yeah, I mean, that's they... what I refer to as clinicals. And usually, um, I don't know about other mortuary schools. I think they have their own thing where they have... Um, kind of agreement with the state or a hospital or something where they can have cadavers brought in to practice on. We were actually sent to local funeral homes to practice on their customers. Gotcha. Okay, when you're practicing, what are you practicing? What kind of stuff? You're practicing um, locating the arteries and veins, choosing chemicals, you're suturing, you're aspirating the cavities, um, treating tell people, the cavity. Tell people what, um, what, it, what you're talking about. What is aspirating? Oh, aspirating the cavity is when you take this long, probably about three foot long saber looking needle that's probably about as big around as your thumb and you are puncturing the internal organs with it and sucking out the fluids inside of them. Gosh, yeah. For someone who's into this, that sounds amazing. And for someone else, <laughs> they're probably just like lost their lunch yeah, in this conversation. Sounds, yeah, that probably sounds absolutely horrible for people right, but that you are like, oh, to, God, no. But that's how you have to get those fluids out of those organs because they're all right. trapped in there, right? So that, yeah. that's the whole idea. Yeah. And then um, once you've punctured the organs, it's called cavity treatment. And it's a very harsh, astringent chemical that you inject into the abdominal cavity and all the organs that you just punctured so that um, it kind of cauterizes them on the inside. Yeah, so kind of like stops them from living, if you will, right? Like yeah. stops them from having any oozing or any like real life to them. I would think like, right. yeah. you know, and almost like a bleach. Like... And such. Yeah, okay. All right, I get that. So, you know, that kind of stuff was what we were doing in clinicals. And it was just kind of like exposing you to all the different things you're going to see in a, in a funeral home, anywhere from, you know, fetuses all the way up to, you know, centenarians. Yeah. That, I think this is where we're going to have this conversation where it, some of these things I think would be really hard. Um, yeah. Okay. So if you're in those clinicals, just to give people an idea, what, how much time do you spend in the clinicals part of while you're still in school? We would spend one day every week in, um, clinicals one and two we had one each semester and um i want to say it was every friday we would go and we would visit a funeral home and we would spend basically from 8 a.m to 3 or 4 p.m just doing whatever needed to be done right as far as in the prep area um a lot of funeral directing is pretty simple and straightforward you're basically a glorified waiter you've got the menu of options and you're going okay what do you want Mm-hmm. Okay, it's this much. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, I know this from being on the other side. It's kind of like, okay, you're going to you're gonna have a ceremony or you're going to have a whatever if you do something at the funeral home. But then it's like picking the casket, right? Picking yeah. the casket, if you're going to pick yeah. flowers, if you're going to yeah. have, like you said, the, the grave site, all that kind of stuff. But that's mm-hmm. all the business side because you learned that, that piece also? Yeah. Um, mostly we learned the ethics of it and some of the cultural traditions, like, uh, we went over what some of the Orthodox Jews believe in as far as the preparation of the body and what they believe is, um, the right way to do things. Like, I want to say they were very adamant about having the body buried within three days 
Yeah. They don't want any of the blood removed, you know, things like that. So, you know, it's just trying to kind of keep people sensitive to other cultures and their traditions. But well, um, that's cool, too, because that would also make you um, I don't know if do they have different like levels of certification. So you could say that, you know, I'm like certified to work with this religion or that religion. Or how does that work? Do they just tell people in the funeral, um, you know, place that this is this is something that we have that get a you know a, a service that we offer with working with people like um at the funeral home that i was at before we had a very large laotian population so people from laos mm-hmm. who um were buddhist and they you know even though they're buddhist they have a different way of doing things just like you know a baptist may have different things than a catholic even though they're both christians they do things a lot differently right so um so we had Laotian Buddhists, and we also had a, was it a Hawaiian service we had tomorrow? Sorry, my best friend is here. We went through mortuary oh, school together, <laughs> and we worked at, at a funeral home together. Yeah, like all the Polynesian cultures then. Yeah, a lot of Vietnamese. We had Vietnamese, Laotian. There's a lot of them that actually um, mix um, yeah. Christianity with Buddhism, so yeah. it's a whole new flavor of yeah, she was, I don't know if you can hear her, but she was yeah, saying yeah, that mix um, it. Go ahead. they kind of mixed the traditions together, just depending on the family. And all it is, is you don't really get a certification so much as you just get a lot of experience doing it. Right. So and, then when uh, they come in, they'll say like, you know, oh, well, I'm Buddhist. And you're like, okay, I got it. Yeah. I know, I know what you need. Or, you know, I'm Jewish. I'm Orthodox. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know what you need. Yeah. That's kinda, so cool. Uh, I, didn't, I never even thought about that piece. Yeah, you that's just, really neat. You just ask them what they want, really, and how they want to do it. And as you go along, you learn which ones are similar, which ones are different, who likes it one way, who likes it another. It's just you know. Some cultures they just want you to stand there, and yeah, some some cultures they want you to just stand there in the back and legitimize everything, and they're gonna they're gonna take over and do it, which is totally fine too. Right, um, with their own people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine, you know. Um, none of us take it personally. We're pretty happy to sit in the back and fiddle on our phones or whatever exactly yeah because you know it's not about us it's about whatever they want to do and that's kind of the beauty of it is we're just there to provide that for them and you know make it as meaningful as they want it to be yeah because you're kind of like i think of you all as technical on the embalming side i think of you as like technical people yeah the Embalming is more of a scientific kind of a chemistry approach to things, right. but um, pseudo medical. Yeah. Um, but it's all pretty much the same. After a while, you you learn which fluids work well with which conditions and things, and you know, it just all comes with experience. You know, just thinking if you had someone who's you know new new to the trade, you know that they are kind of you know more novice looking, or it shows up somehow in the yeah. way that they're you know embalming. Or even presenting. Yeah, sometimes. Um, but it, it just depends on who's teaching them, because that's the biggest thing is um, some people want you to do it their way, and only their way is right. And then there are some people that are like, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, throw some shit together, and if it's broke, we'll fix it. What do you think? Don't you, do you think, like, finding kind of your own style? I think it's oh, stylistic, yeah. a lot of it. Yeah, it's it's a lot of just finding out what works for you. And... Um, Try different things, see what works, see what doesn't, you know, trial and error. Take advice and tips if you if you like it, and if not, who cares? Yeah. 
because yeah, I think even just the way that you approach your that job, I mean, like you said before, you know, surgeons approach everything differently. The same operation is done 15 different ways by 15 different surgeons, you yeah. know, even though the outcome is going to be the same and generally they're doing the same thing, but you know, yeah. your hands are your hands. Exactly. Everybody's got their own style, their own techniques, and there's no wrong or right way to do it. There's just, it's either done or it's not. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the beauty of the job is, you know, you've got that security of literally whatever goes wrong can be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And no one knows. Yeah. <laughs> and no one's going to, no one's going to get upset That's about cool. it because they don't, they don't know and you're able to fix it easily. Yeah. Well, I yeah, don't know about how easy, maybe it's not so easy, but you're able to fix it. Yeah, the only thing that we really hate is like when people bring in full white clothing outfits and we're like, oh God, because all that means is this body is going to leak and everybody's going to be able to see it and I'm going to have to fix this. <laughs> Where does it leak? Can you make it leak like in the back instead of like in the front or yeah, how does that just, work? It's wherever the incisions are, if they have any kind of like needle holes from an IV, if they have like an old injury, they have new injuries, you know, just anywhere the skin can possibly be open, you're going to have a leak. So what about the men? Do the men come in a white shirt with their suit and tie? Sometimes, but those are more, are easier to deal with because you have the jacket and the tie and everything and that helps cover stuff up. But like a lot of people like to bring full white outfits for, for people who've been autopsied and they've got that huge incision from shoulder to shoulder and all the way down their abdomen and you're just like... Oh my God! <laughs> how are you gonna? How do you do that? You just try. What do you do? Just try and drape the white as high up as you can. That's part of it. Um, we actually have plastic clothing for people that we. They're kind of like bags. We zip them up in them, and just try to mold it to their body so that if they do leak, nothing's gonna get on the clothing. Oh, I see. Like an under covering. Kind of yeah, and that's if we have enough room to do that. Like a. I have, we have a lot of problems with people bringing in clothes that are way too small. So, yeah, you're going to cut them up the back and everything so that they'll fit. But, you know, a 3X guy is still going to look like a sausage stuffed in a 1X shirt. Right. <laughs> you know? What do you do so, then? You just hope for the best and say, well, that's what y'all brought. If you want us to dress them in something else, you better bring something else. Right. This is actually, that's just a really good tip for people to know as consumers, you know, as people like, you know, help yourself out, you know, because you're the one who wants to have the viewing and have this person look nice and all that. Yeah. Always go a size or so bigger just in case because bodies swell a lot, especially if they've been in the hospital, they've been on a ventilator, they've been having bags and bags of saline pumped into them. Their tissues are going to be swollen. So while embalming does help bring that down and then aspirating all of the fluids out of the cavities and everything helps. Sometimes they're just bigger than they used to be. Yeah. So it's easier for us to make something fit smaller than it is to make something that's too small fit somebody who's bigger. How long does it take like beginning to end to embalm someone like a typical person? Is there a typical person or is it totally different every person? Every person is different, but um, just depending on the body, I've had them done in 30 minutes or less before from start to finish. And that's finding the artery, getting them injected with the embalming fluid, suturing up any of the incisions, aspirating, cavity treating. And then uh, I also like to wash their hair and bathe them just to finish everything off. And that's all part of the half an hour? Yeah. 
wow. I've had it done in half an hour before, and that was usually, you know, 90-something-year-old Meemaws who died in the hospital or died of cancer and had nothing else wrong with them, and their arteries were good, and, you know, just... Yeah. Typically, by myself in the funeral home that I'm at right now, I'm averaging at about an hour. And that is, that's with makeup and everything, then? No, the makeup and stuff is, is a little separate. So, like, another half hour. Yeah, it just yeah. But that's not long. Been, like, I mean, I just have in my head that it's like a five-hour process. That's it's, this is really not long. No, it's really it's not. not. It's not long at all. Yeah, it's uh, it depends on if you know well, I mean, your locations of your arteries and such helps a lot because you don't have to dig for something. You know exactly where it is. That so that quickens it up quite a bit. I would think weight too, like how much weight they have on them and where you can find things easily or not so yeah. easily. Um. With larger people, generally, I like to go through the brachial artery in the arm, which is mm-hmm. kind of like below your bicep, because it's the easiest one to get to. Femorals tend to be covered in a big layer of fat, so they're harder to you have to dig down pretty far. I've been wrist deep in a corpse trying to find the femoral before, and I said, heck with this. Right. Um, and then if they have a lot of neck fat, it's hard to see the carotid and everything because you're having to constantly dig there. So it's easiest for me if, to go through the arm. And so you mostly go through the arm or you go through the arm when it's, when it's a heavier person? Only it's like a really big person. Otherwise, you're going to use the femoral mostly. On women, I use the femoral because a lot of times the clothing they bring in is more lower cut. So you're going to yes. see the collarbones or such. something. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah and you- and then on men, I use the carotid. Because then you can do it with, like we said, the shirt and the tie. Right. everything. Yeah, they usually bring in a, a t-shirt or something like that. Nothing really low cut, so you don't have to worry about it as much. Yeah. It's, like, fascinating. Okay, let's talk about some of the... Because I, I think this is so interesting. In high school, tell me what you were like as a, as a kid. So what kind of stuff oh did you like? Like, when you were growing <laughs> up, were you like that kid who was, like, in the... like? going after bugs and like I cutting open lizards and I, i'm feeling like you're everyone. gonna say that you what <laughs> i was a little goth kid who hated everyone <laughs> yeah okay i get this because i'm like this has to come from somewhere that you're able to to not only do this now but to have you know conceived of this at yeah. a young age i mean because high school you're talking like 17 18 years old i was actually 15 or 16 when the idea came up Even, so yeah. right precocious yeah. yeah and um i don't know i just my dad was a He's a very typical southern redneck. He hunts for deer and all that such. And so, you know, dead things never really bothered me. It just, right. it is what it is. Um, he would he would dress the deer outside of our house. And, you know, you go outside and there's a deer carcass hanging outside. And dad's up to his elbows in blood, making yeah, sure that... Yeah, it, all that. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was just like, okay... <laughs> Yeah, I got pretty used to that. Yeah, so it's important for people to understand because I think if you're looking at it like like I just said, you know, like OCSI or something, people think that that sounds really glamorous and cool. And when you understand what the work is, you have to – I think it's like seeing surgery. Like now at this stage in my life, I've seen a ton of surgery and I've seen a ton of, you know, open bodies and stuff like that. And like I get what you're saying. You you just develop a, you know, a level of – it's not comfort but whatever, you know, experience with it where it doesn't bother you. You know, it doesn't bother you. Like someone else is going to go in and literally pass out <laughs> vasovagal yeah. like the second they walk in. And if you've just been exposed to it time and time again, you just, it's very different. So were you really good at science? Did you love science? Yeah. Like what did I you like to do? I was pretty good at science. Um, I took biology and such when I was younger and we had to dissect frogs and worms and, you liked and it. stuff. 
I mean, it was it was just okay. I was I didn't like the smell of it, but you know, formaldehyde is an acquired taste, I guess. For sure. So okay, <laughs> I'm just trying to get like even like academically. Like, did this? Were you in an Did you have anatomy in high school? Uh, no, actually, I was. Because that's like an advanced high school years. Let's see. I was mostly just a really quiet bookwormy kid who wore a lot of black and hung out with the metalheads and the goths and freaks. Did you get get good? Did you get really good grades? Were you like a good student? Yeah, you're that kid. Good student. Okay. Yeah, because I would think that this level of work that you're talking about, even to go to college and do these classes, you have to at least like enjoy the academics somewhat. Yeah. You know, even though it's a technical job, I understand what you're saying. Like once you get into it, what you're doing is kind of technical, but you have to get there, go through these hoops of academics. Yeah. And really, I think I feel like the academics of it is completely overblown and unnecessary because everything you learn in academia, as soon as you take those board exams, you toss it out the window because now you have to relearn everything the practical way, not the book way. Yeah. I think a lot of people in a lot of industries would say that. Yeah, it's it's just a total waste of time and money for something that you could learn on the job in two years or less. Right, because what, where you really end up learning how to do it is all on the job. But you, I guess the anatomy right. part would be really kind of critical. That would be in, in a way. Mostly, you just learn tips and tricks along the way as far as um, the actual practical embalming. Like I went through anatomy and all that, and I still couldn't tell you where those arteries and such are supposed to lie until I've discovered for myself, oh, okay, if you go between where two muscles meet, there's right. going to be an artery right underneath that. Gotcha. And so you don't even need to know the names of them, just where they're located. It's just, yeah. you know, they overcomplicate things. Yeah. No, I, this is actually really, this is important for people to understand too. So if you're thinking, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a matter of just get through that piece. Cause for some jobs, right. you've really got to understand this and you, it's so like, I, I mean, I just, talk to other people who do you know different kind of science jobs and mm-hmm. even though they aren't going to use them it builds and builds and builds and builds on each other so if you don't get this in the beginning you will love it you know you're kind of hosed right. at the end but in your case this is good for someone who's kind of a, a practical doer kind of person which I'm getting that you are but yeah smart you know can deal with the classes and then just kind of wants to get get working right yeah, yeah. so what is I mean so, classes do prepare you in a way but like everything you learn, you really learn on the job. The classes are mostly to get to where you can pass the test. And that's about it. Right. So who is, do you have a mentor when you show up to to do your internship or to do, you know, for your first job? Do you have a job at the same place where you did your internship, right? Yeah. Or no. So do you have a mentor who teaches you practically how to do this? We had pretty much everyone in the funeral home taught us one thing or another. Um, We would kind of cycle with the funeral directors, go on services with them, sit in on conferences and things like that. And then in the embalming room, we had a few people who were embalmers because in that funeral home, it was separate. They had funeral directors who did nothing but funeral directing. And then they had embalmers who did nothing but embalm. And then you had floaters who could do either one and they would just go where needed. And that was usually us because we were the interns. Got it. Okay. And now you could do either, even though you tend to focus, right, on embalming, but you could go and do the other stuff like you're saying. Yeah, I can funeral direct. I just don't prefer it. I I prefer being in the back and dealing with the dead people more than the living. Okay, so tell me this about yourself then. So are you are you sensitive? Not really. Okay, so I think this is important. So because I think you're kind of one of these. like sciencey kind of, um, you know, practical thinker, 
girls. Yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're like a woman who's just like, all right, we got this. It's kind of straightforward, not complicated. I'm not going to cry about it. And, you know, I'm going to be able just to, I'm going to be able to put this into my work box. Right. Like yeah. this is, this is work and I can deal with it there. Plus you're mm-hmm. yeah, young. So then you can, you've seen a lot, I imagine. Yeah. So, um, give me an idea of what does a typical day look like? What, what happens? What do you do? What, you know, okay. you get into work and what does it look like? Okay. Uh, when I get into work, usually it's just, I go in the prep room and find out if we got anyone overnight because, um, since I live an hour away, they don't have me on call at night. They have whoever's local on call. So they're the ones who get the calls at night and go pick people up from the hospitals and homes and all that. So I go see if we got anybody in. If we have, I go find out when the family's coming in, if we know what they want as far as burial or cremation, and if I need to prepare anybody. And then, um, is it different if you're, if it's burial? Hurry up and wait. Yeah, okay, tell me. Um, well, with burial or cremation, yeah. A lot of our clients lately are um, going with direct cremation, which is the cheapest option because, you know, a lot of people are not doing so well financially. So they want to go with what's cheap, which okay. is fine. Um, we don't care. We are happy to provide whatever they want, you know. Um, so if they're a direct cremation, they don't require any preparation. So they don't have to be involved. So they usually just kind of hang out in our refrigerator until all of the paperwork is done. But we do provide what it's called an ID viewing where um, up to like five people can come in for a few minutes, kind of say goodbye. And we have the body on a cot with a sheet and a blanket on and a pillow under their head and, you know, put together and cleaned up enough to where their family can see them in a non-sickly hospital bed type environment and they can, you know, see them and, and tell them goodbye and have that last image of them. Because the only reason you would be doing the embalming if you're going to be doing the cremation is if you're going to have a viewing. Is that right? Right. Yeah. And that's usually only if we're going to have a public service. Um, and that's just funeral home policy. It's not a law. Um, most funeral homes have the policy that if there's going to be a public viewing, then they require an embalming. Okay. So then when you say hurry up and wait, then what do you mean by that? What I mean is um, a lot of the business is hurry up and wait. So you hurry up and get the body, and then you wait for the family to come in. And then family tells you what they want. You hurry up and do it, and then you wait for the clothes to come in. And then the family brings the clothes, and you hurry up and dress them, and then you wait to put them in the casket because if you don't wait long enough, they're going to (laughs) leak. That kind of thing. Right, yeah. So it's, it's like little bursts of energy all day. It's usually at smaller funeral homes that don't have constant flow of you know people coming in it's just okay and then run 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 run, and then rest and then run 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 run, and then rest and is the run 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 because you think maybe if they would come like if they bring the clothes and then you're just like is it because you just want to get it done because it seems like you would have time to kind of do it like you could take your time too no it depends on how much you have going on that day really um some days you're just hopping around and running around like a chicken with your head cut off and other days you're sitting around tapping your fingers on your desk and watching videos on the internet because <laughs> you don't have anyone because you don't have anyone right, in because you have nothing to or, do <laughs> or you're caught up right there's like yeah. this is really interesting yeah because you would have to be able to be both people you'd have to be able to be someone yeah. who could like really work under that pressure and mm-hmm. then just to be able to like hang out yeah and it all depends on the volume of calls that the funeral home gets like i went from a place who was that was doing anywhere between 500 and 1000 calls a year 
to a place that's probably doing a maximum of 500 a year. Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, it's totally different work environments. At What's that larger a lot? general home, it was just what, what go, would go, be go a lot time. of what would be a lot of calls a year? Would would a thousand be a lot? Yeah, um, that would probably be your larger, more corporate-owned funeral homes or independent funeral homes that have multiple locations and are very large, that kind of thing. And so in that, then there would be several embalmers? Yes, um, at that funeral home where we were having between 500 and 1,000. I really couldn't tell you how many exactly. Um, let's see, there was two, three, four, at one time, there was probably up to eight embalmers, embalmers. of varying levels of ex- expertise from, you know, people who were senior embalmers and had been in, in it for 25 plus years to all the way down to um, apprentices. Right. And then um, there was all of the funeral directors who were able to embalm. It's just most of the time their focus was on funeral directing rather than embalming and vice okay. versa. Yeah, that gives me a good idea. So, do you find it stressful? Uh, I find funeral directing stressful. Embalming is very relaxing for me. Interesting. Okay, that's probably a personality thing. What What do you find stressful about funeral directing? Funeral directing is like herding cats without a water gun. It's um, Families usually tend to be very chaotic. They're confused. They're going through a lot of emotions. They're not thinking straight. So you've got to kind of like grab them by the hand and be like, okay, we got to do this now. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I can attest so to that. Totally. Of, yeah, lead them by the hand and figure out what they want and hopefully do it in a way that is meaningful to them without making you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> yeah, that, it's just a, that's a totally different skill from yeah. the other stuff that you're talking about. I would think this is entirely different. Yeah, it's a lot more emotional. There's, it's a lot of high stress because there's all these things you have to remember to do. It's to me, it's just ugh, I'd much rather be in the back where I know what I'm doing right. all the time, and any kind of problem can be fixed. Whereas, you know, if you upset a family, that may or may not be able to be fixed. They may be mad at you forever. Right, you know? and they might remember that forever. Yeah, yeah. it's very highly emotional. That that's yeah, that's very important. Yeah. So, but in the back, in the embalming, you don't find it stressful? No, not at all. I calming. find it very calming and relaxing. Cause... I always say that the people who are surgeons, I think when they go, people who really love being surgeons, when they go in to, to operate, I say that's like your zen moment. You know, they yeah. just get, totally relax. Except if they screw up, their patient's dead. <laughs> Whereas if I screw up, uh, we'll just fix it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's already, it's already done. Can, can yeah, I can't hurt them anymore. So it's like, it's no stress because... When you're paid to slit throats for a living, you know. <laughs> yeah, different. So, well, tell me. Okay, so what do you think it is? What What do you think are your personality traits that are the that make it the the you know that really help you in this job? Well, I'm, as you said, I'm really practical. I'm not very emotional as far as you know things don't upset me or anger me easily. I might get irritated and roll my eyes, but I'm not like you know I don't wear my heart on my sleeve. Right. Um, the whole anatomy of a human doesn't bother me. I can look at it without being disgusted or sickened or scared. It's just, it is what it is. And then, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. I think I just, it's just me. 
I, I, I love it. It is because I'm totally getting this. Was there anything that surprised you that you thought, okay, it's going to be like this. And you, once you've been doing it for a while that you, you're surprised that you liked this aspect of it, or you surprised that you didn't like this part of it? Oh, no, it all pretty much was as I thought it would be. Um, I was actually surprised by how hard it is to embalm younger people, not because of the emotional aspect, but because of just how different the tissue is. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when you're embalming someone, they're much older, they've been sick, they've been, you know, their body's wearing down. So their tissues are very soft and pliable and easy to work with. Mm -hmm. With younger people, they're very, they're tighter, they've got more like gristle, I guess. They're a lot harder to work with physically as far as trying to get to the arteries and all those, those structures than it is for someone who's, you know, in their 80s or 90s and who's been sitting around for a little while because they can't do anything else. Yeah, that's very interesting. That makes perfect sense, even from like the yeah. muscles and the bone density and all of that. Right. It's going to be different in a younger person. Yeah, but younger people do embalm beautifully once you can get those vessels up out of the fascia and, you know, you get the artery and the veins all opened up and ready to go. Once you start putting that embalming fluid in them, the formaldehyde fuses with the proteins and that's what actually embalms. And since younger people are more muscular, they just embalm so much nicer than, you know, older people do because older people have kind of like a a Play-Doh kind of feel whenever mm -hmm. you've embalmed them versus a young person is hard like a rock. And that's just the effect of formaldehyde on. Yeah, I totally get that. Even just their vessels themselves must be a lot more pliable right. when they're younger. Yeah. I and mean, they've got to just be really kind of squishy and hard when they're, yeah, when they're, they're older, just they're worn out, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're tougher on young people. And then with older people, it's generally really easy. Um, okay, so tell me about what about the makeup aspect? What about some of this, like the dress up part of it? Do you enjoy that piece or what, how, do, how much does that play into your work? Oh, I love that part too. Um, I love everything about the embalming process and dressing them and putting them in the casket and everything. Um, the makeup, it tends to be a little challenging because there's so many different kinds to work with, but drugstore typical makeup does not work well on embalmed bodies because of the formaldehyde reaction with the proteins, their skin doesn't have the oils in it anymore that absorbs that makeup and makes it stick. So it tends to come right back off. Like if you so much as look at it wrong, you've got to smear in that makeup and you got to do it all over again. Right. Um, mortuary cosmetics are a lot thicker and more opaque, but they Is also like, have... Is um, this like theater makeup? Is it kind of like that? Kind of, but it's even thicker than that. It's okay. um, You have to put it on with a very stiff bristled brush and you actually kind of stipple it on because if you try to brush stroke it it just leaves lines what is stipple it on meaning kind of like pat 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 like that yeah you yeah you take and you pat the brush rather than swiping it and how long does this take that part of it depends on the body um because you do the hair and everything right you do the hair the makeup the like make them yeah. look really great it depends on the, the body and what they require. I mean, it can take a short amount of time. It can take you all freaking day. It just, you know, um, it depends on how elaborate they want the hairstyle. For me, doing makeup usually doesn't take more than 30 minutes. 
do they teach you how to do makeup too or is that just something you do, do you just know how to do that or because that i think that's another whole skill that you know yeah, they, is part they of they teach this. you some in school but they have very limited supplies whereas when you go to a funeral home they have more access to different things like um when i was in mortuary school we only worked with the thick opaque more mortuary cosmetics but when i got into funeral homes they have all these different types of cosmetics like uh there's this stuff called glow tint, which is a tinted liquid makeup, and all it does is just add a little bit of color, kind of like a tinted moisturizer does, and it doesn't cover up um, things like freckles and all oh, of that on the face, whereas the opaques would cover it, like right. foundation or concealer. Um, so, the, but because the, the family gives you a picture, or you're just going off a picture. Sometimes. Sometimes if we're lucky, we have a picture, and sometimes we're just flying blind and hoping for the best. Oh, wow. Okay. I thought you would have had, like, you're trying to create some kind of a look or something like that. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of times when, you know, you got 94-year-old grandma, but they bring in a glamour shot from the 80s, and you're like, okay, you want me to make her look like that? (laughs) That was 40 pounds of weight and uh, 50 pounds of hair ago. Right, exactly. And the color's probably not right, not the same or anything like that. So it's just like, uh, okay, you so just do your best. Talk to me about some of the, um, what are, what are some of the names of the tools that you use? Like what kind of, what kind of you use surgical tools or what do you use? Yeah. What, what's uh, in your arsenal? Is it like a toolkit? You have an apron or how do you, how do you <laughs> I'm like imagining what this is like, because I'm thinking I, well, I watch TV and this is the only yeah. way that I can like conceptualize this is thinking like, what did I, what would I expect to see on TV? Okay. Um, well we wear just. At the place I'm at, we wear kind of like a plastic overgown, kind of like you see in surgical suites where they have that outer gown that they put on. Yep. Um, and gloves. Um, some places they have surgical masks. I personally like a respirator better, like a 3M respirator with the cartridges on it, because um, it filters out the, the fumes way better than just a surgical mask does. Um, and then some people wear splash guards or goggles. I can't because my breathing fogs it up every time. So I just hope I don't splash around a hide in my eye for the 40 millionth time. Um, but as far as tools go, we use aneurysm hooks, which are just blunt dissecting instruments. And what we do is um, we use a scalpel to cut the skin. And then we use those aneurysm hooks to pull apart the tissues to get down to the arteries and veins and such. This has kind of got to be tough because now, because you, you have to kind of dissect down the plane a little bit too, or how do you get in there? Well, it depends on where you're, what artery you're trying to get to. Um, for example, on the femoral, you there's a little notch in the leg right below the groin. And if you cut there and dig down a bit, the femoral artery is right there. So you just kind of have to know the anatomy as far as where the muscles lie and where they meet. And if you go between them, that's usually where the artery is. So what else do you have? Okay, uh, we have various different clamps for obvious reasons. Got to keep things bleeding that you need bleeding and stop things because you would because you you, would you use that um, would you use the scalpel when you're talking before about getting in the abdominal cavity? So you have you do you make an incision down the front of that abdominal cavity or across? No, we don't actually open the abdominal cavity. That's okay. what the uh, trocar is for. Okay. Which the trocar is also used in um, plastic surgery for liposuction, but ours is just a much bigger version. 
usually truck cars that they use in like LIFO are much smaller. Right. Okay. What other things that people would look at and they'd be like, wow, this looks like as it is. I think it's a lot of, there's a lot of tools that you're using. Yeah, there's a, a bunch of tools. We have um, what we call angular spring forceps. And they're kind of like, you know, the square root symbol. They look kind of like that. Yep. And um, you insert Like a little pliery on the, are they like kind of like pliers yeah, on the end? And then they have like that on the front. Springy. Yeah. Yeah, they um, they just pinch, and all it is is you pinch it closed and you insert that into the jugular vein and open it up, and that keeps the vein open so that as you're embalming, that's where the blood is draining out. Oh, I got it. Okay. Is this a one-person job when you're doing this as an embalmer? It's only one person. Yeah, usually. you're, You're doing this all by yourself. Okay, anything else on that that I would be surprised about? tools um let's see so and then another tool we use is called a cannula and it's just a little piece of kind of like piping with a tip on it and a screwed end that you screw into a hose and that's what delivers the fluid into the body oh okay and then there's more mundane things like cotton ligature needles which we use syringes and um different types of suture needles so when you're suturing if you're not opening anything big so you're uh that femoral artery that part gets a suture that you know by the neck you're talking about that gets a suture are those the sutures points yeah wherever you you make an incision to get an artery you're going to have to suture that back up otherwise they're just going to leak it fluid blood and whatever else everywhere right so tell me about though um can you give me like an idea of a couple cases that you, you'll have your typical case, which you've talked about, I think, is your someone who's older, who's, you know, passed away in the hospital or the nursing home, just kind of like of being old, right? You know, old age. Yeah. Um, and then tell me about some of the um, the other other cases that might um, be a little different for us, because you mentioned some of the olders. And I think uh, what I'm thinking about is there's the natural causes, you know, if you have mm-hmm. someone who's older who essentially dies in their sleep and then someone who right. has trauma. And that really impacts yeah. your job and how how yeah. you're able to treat them, right? Yeah. Um, for example, today I worked on a woman who was a long bone donor. So from her hip bones down, was the bones were gone. They removed them. She donated them. So that's a whole different process because now you have all of those exposed vessels, you know, and capillaries and everything that are and no support. Yeah, yeah, no support, no anything, and you have to inject fluid into that and not get sprayed in the face. Have you seen this before? Had you seen this many times? This was actually my first time doing a long bone donor. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, well, that's kind of cool was, too. Even to think like you've been doing this for so many years and you're still seeing stuff that's new. Yeah, I mean, every body is different. Even if it's you know you've got a row full of ninety-year-old mammals, each one may embalm differently and have they're going to have different issues that come with them. Right. Like this lady that I did today with the uh, long bone donation, she had incisions from the tops of her feet all the way up to her hips and then across her lower abdomen, kind of like a C-section. And I had to figure out how to embalm that and then treat the underlying tissue. And it's, it was just a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah. I think that would take, a, that, that's what I'm talking about. That's kind of stuff. That's not yeah. the, the trauma that I wouldn't even thought of this, the donors. Yeah. 
because yeah. the donors go first and then the body would come to you after yeah. the, all the donations are done. Yeah, and we get the long bones, eye donors, yeah, corneas, donors, all that, all of that. Yeah, so they all come with their own challenges. Um, like the skin donors, you have to treat them pretty harshly in a way because they're going to leak no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Because that tissue is just gone. Yeah, so I think some that, people don't even just to stop to t- to tell people that that is something that you can do is when yeah. you donate your organs. One of your organs is your skin, and they'll come along and yeah, basically slice off those that top layer of your skin to be able to yeah. use it for burn victims and that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, and same with the corneas, and sometimes we've had even the whole eyeballs are removed. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, you just learn how to deal with it and you do your job, even if uh, like me, eyeballs gross me out, so I kick around and scream and, and go ew, 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 ew. <laughs> right when you're trying to get exactly even yeah. you we see it so many times yeah. there's always has to be that's Everybody what I'm saying there has, has to be something I worked with her her thing was broken bones she hated them because she hated the way they'd crunch if you moved them so she would yeah. scream and freak out <laughs> yeah exactly. um so some of the things you can do with bodies that have been cremated is um most of the time at the crematories, they pulverize the bones into a sandy kind of gritty, it's not really powder, it's just kind of like sand, really. And um, a lot of different companies have taken to finding different things to do with the cremated remains. Like uh, some people, they'll compress the carbon down and make a diamond, or they'll shoot it off into space, or you can have it put into concrete and they make artificial reefs out of it. There's like, like all sorts of things people are doing with them now. And the reef goes into the ocean? Yeah. Just like tires. Just like old yeah. tires. Yeah. That's so cool. That's very cool. Okay, so tell me tell me again about the green burial. Oh, um, in some places green burials are picking up to where they don't go in a vault. Some don't even go in a casket. They just kind of wrap the body in sheets or some sort of material and bury them like naturally like they did for thousands of years before embalming became popular in the west and then you're telling me that you can you you can also be dropped in the ocean Mm -hmm. um it depends on i think the state but they're just regulations like uh the minimum amount of miles you have to be offshore and i think some places require a permit i would imagine you have to do that do you have to do that fast like within so many days after death so the body doesn't i, I don't know but, but i guess you guys could hold the body right mm-hmm. you could, yeah you if could there's hold. a refrigeration unit available then yeah you can keep them for months right just like and what you some were saying places and... they might require that because um some places they can't bury for a certain amount of time because the ground is frozen solid so they can't dig so a lot of places up north they have to keep them pretty much in storage until the ground is available to bury so oh that's so i didn't even think about that right so then you could just have and because you mentioned before even like forensics and all that it could take a while for crime scene work yeah. to be done so then the body has to be preserved that way also yep. and then there's crime scene cleanup there's mm-hmm. obviously pathology there's yeah. a crematory there's owning mm-hmm. a cemetery yep all kinds of stuff that comes along with this. There's also mortuary services, which is they don't deal with families. All they do is deal with other funeral homes. So say I'm in Alabama, somebody dies in California, I can call up a mortuary service, have them 
go pick up the body, prepare it, and then ship it straight to me for the family here in Alabama. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so like business to business, but yeah. then, but their job really is transport then. Yeah, it's basically uh, what they do is called, we call it a and e it's pick up and embalm. Okay. And that's pretty much what they do, the mortuary services, they just pick up and embalm and transport people back and forth wherever they need to go. Okay, so then that's the same thing. So they have a license, but then they yeah. probably have license in all these different states so they can drop people off. In the yeah, and a lot of states, it, it depends on um, the regulations, but some states require a body be embalmed before crossing state lines, and some mm-hmm. states don't. So it just Right, and then it just depends on what the state is that you're going to, right, yeah. what they require, which yeah. uh, that would be cool because that's interesting. If you're someone who is, has this service, you would be involved in all that. Like you'd have yeah. probably a, a lawyer or legal person <laughs> to deal yeah. with all that part too. Uh, yeah, it's cool. That's well, like a funeral that's laws a in the states are pretty straightforward because they're usually just a few pages long. I mean, since they're, you're dealing with the dead, they're not—they're actually not very concerned about it as long as you're handling them with dignity and respect, and and you're doing what you're supposed to do. They really are just kind of not really that involved with it. I would just think only about the chemicals in the environment, things like that. After that, they would worry yeah. about like on these green burials and things like that. Yeah. Well, with the green burial, it's. You know, they don't use any chemicals, but um, with normal embalming, the chemicals go into the sewage system. So then they may be processed in a purification plant or wherever sewage goes. Oh, I got it. Okay. And since formaldehyde is an antibacterial, it kind of helps purify it in a way, but I know that they probably put some kind of different chemicals in it to purify it further and get anything harmful out, so... So yeah, yeah, most of your body fluids go down the drain. Exactly. <laughs> and, and at the end, it's all, it's all, it's the end all the time. That's the thing. It's whenever it's the yeah. end, it's the end. That's it. Yep. So I imagine you've dealt with, you know, car accidents and things like that too, right? Like right. I think people just have to understand you're just going to be dealing with any kind of way that this body might present itself to you, right? Yeah. I mean, whatever comes through the door, you've just got to deal with it. So what has been, is there suicides, homicides, all sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think now that even just mentioning this, I think people just have to understand this. So so like even in talking about suicides, you might have, you know, makeup issues. Like you just have ways, you know, if if the family wants a viewing, I mean, sometimes you, maybe you can't even offer that, but um, if they want a viewing, that's really on you to make that possible. Yeah. Well, it depends on what, the condition of the body is in too. Like trauma can be fixed up to a point, but what a lot of people don't realize is that once decomposition has set in, there's really not a whole lot we can do. I mean, the tissue is just destroyed. So there's nothing to work with. And, um, and a lot of people want to have that funeral in two or three days. Well, that doesn't give us much time to say, recreate an entire face. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, so it just depends on, you know, what they want versus what we have to work with. What about the kids? How is how how do you deal how do you deal with that? Because you don't have children yourself, right? No, I don't. And luckily, yeah. we don't see kids very often. Um, I've only seen maybe a handful ever in the seven years that I've been doing it. And one of them was a child who had had some sort of chronic cancer, leukemia, or something like that. So for him. When I saw him, I didn't feel um, sad. I felt more kind of like a relieved for him because 
I knew that his life had been miserable. I mean, he probably never had a day in his life where he wasn't feeling sick or tired or, you know, yeah. awful. So for him, I was like, okay, well, you know, you're done now, little guy. It's okay. Right. I felt bad for his family because they probably had spent his entire life trying to keep him alive. And, you know, now the poor guy is gone. But luckily, I haven't seen very many kids. I've seen a few fetuses and a few babies. And, you know, that's always sad. But I feel more sad for the people than I do the kids themselves. Because, I mean, they're gone. They don't care. That's actually interesting, too. It's a, that's a, an interesting point even to think about it yeah because yeah. the sensitivity would go to the adults or the pa- the family who's yeah. still there yeah and you know we just look at them and and go okay well now i've there's that responsibility of i need to make this child or this person every single person that comes in that you need to work on your goal is i want to be able to make you look good so that whenever they say goodbye to you they're comforted by seeing you in a peaceful and, you know, dignified manner rather than what they may have seen in the hospital or, you know, what they may have imagined that someone looks like, you know, and that, that to me is the most fulfilling part of the job is I can give that to them. That's, that's interesting too, because it's true what people say when they go and see a funeral. I mean, I think almost everyone says, oh, he or she looks so peaceful. Yeah. It's kind of like the mark for you, like that's a job well done. Right? Yeah. Like hats off to you. Yeah, my best, my favorite is when they go, oh my God, he looks so good. Or, right. Oh, she looks 20 years younger. You know, that, that to me is like, yeah, got it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Is that, is that like the most fulfilling part of the, of the whole job? Um, if I'm around to hear it, a lot of times if you're an embalmer and you're in a funeral home where they keep them separate, you don't get to, hear that or anything you may have a funeral director come back and say oh yeah they were really happy but um in some places you just don't know you just put out your best work and hope for the best that's that's cool too though because i think you know in terms of accolades and if you're someone who needs kind of a pat on the back but you're always making them look better almost always right than they did you know two hours two days before yeah that's what you hope for anyway I totally appreciate this conversation, Valerie, because I think I think people don't even understand. I don't understand what this is until you start thinking about it. And I have to think like kind of like a morgue-like setting if you think about TV and like how it looks like that. Yeah. And then you have, you know, someone in there who's really, like you said, it's like a responsibility mm-hmm. to take this person and present them in a way that the family can say goodbye, you know, yeah. and that person has their last moment of dignity, which is a great service, right. really. It's a really excellent service. So is there any last things that you would want to tell people about your job? Because I know you love doing what you do. So right. any last thing you want to say or who would who would really, like who you would encourage to do this kind of work or that if someone's doing it or thinking about doing it, that they really want to think about, you know, this thing or that thing? Um, well, you definitely aren't doing it for money because we are not highly paid. Um, you do it for the love of the job, just like, you know, teachers they have some of the crappiest pay in this country, but you know, the ones who really love it stick with it because you know, they just love it that much. And that's kind of like what you have to do with this job. It's definitely not for the faint of heart. And it's definitely not for people who are overly sensitive because you would just be depressed all the time. Um, but for those people who aren't super sensitive and you know, who they aren't just after a paycheck, who really want to make a difference with people who are 
going through the worst day of their life, you know, it can be a really rewarding and fulfilling career. Like, I absolutely love it, obviously, but, you know, it really does take a certain kind of person. For sure. I I so appreciate it. And I can't really thank you enough for just giving us a glimpse into what this whole world is like. And I think helping a lot of people to see this might be an option that people would not have necessarily thought of. So thank you so much, Valerie. Really appreciate you being here. I've had a great time. And, you know, anytime you or anybody else has a question, I am more than happy to answer it. Oh, I love it. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Taking care of business.